0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Natural High, which is, of course, a podcast dedicated to the pursuit of happiness in all its glorious forms. This time, I speak to Alice Bradshaw, a charming lady from London, who is a practitioner of EFT, which is Emotional Freedom Technique. It's one of the more left-field techniques that I've heard about, and it is fascinating. It involves tapping whilst you indulge in therapeutic dialogue. As usual, I have probably described it very clumsily and I'm going to leave the rest to Alice. But if you want to reach out to her after listening to this interview, you can go to tapwithalice.com. She does group sessions online on Zoom two or three times a month. Um, She's very inclusive in her work and so you can watch from a distance and get involved that way. It is very useful for phobias and anxiety, depression, and other trauma that you might have suffered in your life. So it's a technique which has wide-ranging applications. As usual, if you like what you're hearing, please feel free to leave a review on whichever platform you're listening, and I hope that you do indeed enjoy the show. The natural high. Hello, 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 hello. Hi. How are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm very well. I I had, first of all, no idea where you come from because I've spoken to people from all over the world over the last few weeks, but you've got an English accent there. So I was brought up in London and then I left for 20 years and I've just come back. (laughs)
1: Wow, where did you go? So I first went to Indonesia um, and then I went to Pakistan. Uh, So I spent yeah i
0: love i've never been to pakistan but i love indonesia i spent about four or five months there in total where i i went to the three main islands i know it's an archipelago of like one hundred ninety thousand islands or something crazy Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. but i spent time in java i spent time in sumatra and i spent time in bali whereabouts did you go
1: so i was living in java in a town which you probably know called solo or surakarta
0: okay in central
1: java um and I, I went to Bali on holidays quite often. And I went to Flores as well on holiday.
0: Mm, um, I never I never
1: set foot in Sumatra, sadly. I would have liked to, but it never happened.
0: <laughs> it's at least 20 years since I went there. But uh, I found that the um, language quite easy to acclimate to, which I've, yeah. I'm not a great linguist. I don't pick up um, other languages particularly easily. But I found it was a really easy one to get the, the, the tongue around. Yeah, yeah, I did too. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful place. So what took you over to to um, Indonesia and to Pakistan? Um,
1: well, I first went to Indonesia because I used to play gamelan, which is um,
0: the yeah, traditional amazing. music. Yeah, amazing. The, the how, music how, how did you get to gamelan? <laughs> oh, it's a funny <laughs> thing because
1: living in London, um, I don't know whether you know, um, well, well, you might have been to the Royal Festival Hall, but they yes. have they have a gamelan there. And they used to have it in this big glass-fronted room um, so I think my, my parents took me there for a concert or something and we saw it and, and there was a leaflet about classes for children. And so they said, oh, do you want to have a go? So I said, sure, <laughs> and uh, I loved it and I just played for years. And then, uh, um, yeah, after university, um, the Indonesian government do scholarships for people to study the arts, mostly the arts, but sometimes language. So I applied for that and I got one. Um, and off I went and once I was there I didn't want to leave. <laughs> so I started teaching English um, and stayed there for a long time. Yeah, I was there seven years.
0: Yeah Fantastic. And then Pakistan, tell me something about Pakistan because I don't know you yeah. really know many people have even been there so t- tell me about your impressions of Pakistan.
1: Um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful country, really beautiful. Um, and it's really sad you know like with so many countries what what's happening there now mm. um, or in the last well, 10, 15, 20 years really, but um, there are times when it's safe to visit. (laughs) And uh, so there are different areas. Um, I was living in Karachi, which is rather an ugly and dirty city, but it it has its plus points, but um, there are beautiful areas to visit up in the North. Um, It it borders with China in the North um, and with India and the Himalayas. uh, And it borders with Afghanistan in the West and with Iran. Um, So there's a a huge variety of countryside Um, Beautiful mountains I love mountains I'm not really an ocean person I'm a mountain person Um, so yeah and I mean I think it's true to say of anywhere in the world that the normal people are lovely aren't they (laughs) when you meet just normal ordinary people um, they're always so friendly and welcoming and and just really really hospitable and um, I had a yeah I had a really good time there
0: I agree with you. I think that most people are good people. Now, of course, yeah. we always hear horror stories in the newspapers. The, the newspapers always tend to gravitate towards pathos and tragedy. Of course, Ooh. you know, that is that is their responsibility a lot of the time. But because of those stories that we always hear, we, we sort of I think we get a sort of skewed perception of, you know, the, the goodness and the evil of the world. And I do find, like you, that most people, you know, are, are good people and friendly and welcoming and curious and want to find out about you and want to welcome and help you. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Um so whereabouts do you live? I'm just a very curious soul. So and you know, I'm a little bit nostalgic about London, particularly since COVID <laughs> we haven't been able to go back there. Um whereabouts in London do you live and, and which bits do you do you hang around?
1: Um so I live in Wimbledon, um which is famous oh. of course for the tennis and the Wombles. Mm. Mm. Um, <laughs> and uh um yeah, this is a beautiful um, part of London. Beautiful yeah, part of London. Yeah. It is nice. It is nice um i tend to i tend when i go into london obviously i it's easy for us to get to waterloo which is on the south bank of the river thames so um yeah um i like to walk along the river actually that's one of my favorite things to do is just walk along the river um there's a a huge as you probably know a pedestrian um route along the river
0: yeah Um, it's so beautiful around there
1: And another thing I like to do, I like to walk, so I like to, um, I like to walk through the parks, you know, you can start off in uh, Kensington Gardens and walk through Hyde Park, Green Park, St James's Park, takes about an hour and a half. Amazing. And it's just amazing that you can walk that far, basically just in parks in central London
0: it's one of the main ambitions of my life is to take my dog back to england before you know before the end of his life so he can go we lived we used to live in north London, around crouch end mm-hmm. and um and there's a similar walk around there around alexandra palace where you can get off the road and do a five mile circuit all around alexandra palace highgate woods um the uh, the parkland walk which is an uh, an old railway um disused railway line that you can walk along oh it's absolutely glorious mm. beautiful place to walk do you Nothing. have a dog
1: no, I don't. I have a 4-year-old.
0: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. So I've got a 1-year-old different... and a dog.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a different kind of outing, isn't it, with little ones? Oh um, my goodness. Yeah.
0: It, uh, you can't you cannot adequately. I haven't heard an adequate description of parenthood yet. You, it's something that you have to experience really just to really know <laughs> about the true <laughs> depths of the trauma and the joy. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how did you, I, I want to talk to you about EFT, of course, which is emotional freedom therapy, right? Emotional freedom technique. Yeah, technique, we're, not, we're not allowed to
1: say therapy, especially in the States.
0: <laughs> right, okay. Why?
1: Well, there are legal implications with the word in the States. Um, in, in Britain, it's, you know, massage therapy. Everything is therapy in, in Britain. Sure. It doesn't matter. But in the States, uh, you can be sued for providing therapy when it's not on the list. So it's not called therapy, although I would argue that it is a form of therapy. But, um, you know, legally, it's not that it's more like coaching.
0: That's very interesting. Yeah. I want to find out how you got into it in the first place. Was hmm. was there some kind of adversity in your life which sent you spiraling towards EFT? Or did you just pick it up like you did Gamelan?
1: Yeah, I just kind of picked it up, really. So um, it, it came more from I'm, I'm like you. I'm I'm eternally curious and I've always been interested in so-called alternative therapies so you know first it was yoga and then i did reiki and uh, I, I astrology i was into for a while and all kinds of other stuff um and um i've been interested in you know eden energy eden energy medicine it's donna eden is a a lady an american lady who does a lot of energy work and she's popularized this method that people can use for themselves even if they can't perceive energy like she can and she uses the meridians from traditional Chinese medicine. So I was interested in that. And then I found EFT. Um, and, uh, you know, when you just find something and, and, and that was my thing, you know, I'd studied Reiki and yeah, it was nice, but it wasn't my thing. I didn't feel called to, to do it. Um, but with EFT, I was like, wow, this is it. This is this is what I really good that. This is what I love.
0: Okay, because was it because the first time that you did it, uh, you had like an amazing reaction to it?
1: No, it wasn't at all. It wasn't at all. It's funny. I mean, there are people who have, you know, one one session miracles, but I wasn't one of them.
0: Um, I had some minor successes, but it was more that I felt that it. Did you have a practitioner teach you or or treat you in the first place or did you just learn to do it?
1: No, I learned it. Um, So I found it online. Um, You can learn quite a lot online for free. Yeah. And then I thought I'd like to learn it properly, and I went and did I did a course, just a weekend course for the the first level, which is for using it for yourself. And um, so I learned it from a practitioner, um, and I was practicing by myself for a long time. And it wasn't really until I had therapy, um, I call it therapy, haha, <laughs> with a with a a with an experienced practitioner over the course of some months and years that I really understood how you can use it and what what actually to do to get to the problems and and it really increased my awareness of how how it can work because often when you do it by yourself it you sort of i had limited success you know i'm i used to the first thing i used it for was flossing my teeth because i i just had this resistance for to flossing my teeth i never wanted to do it and i i so i did eft for a while on that um, and i started flossing my teeth twice a day without even thinking about it and i've never stopped since So, um, but come on, it's a a minor success, isn't it? It's hardly life-changing
0: and you always kind of- It's a big thing, flossing. I love flossing. It's a big (laughs) deal in my life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you kind of second guess yourself, like, is it really EFT that did it? Did it really work? Right, yeah. Um, And all this stuff, Um, but it it does really
0: work. It really does. And- uh, So can you explain in in the most practical terms to the the layman like myself, how it works?
1: Okay, so first I'll explain what it is. Um, Yes. So it's a method of tapping with your fingers on various acupressure points on your face, um, on your your hands, and a few on your body. Um, And while you're tapping on those points, you talk about your problem. So that's that's the simplest idea of what it is. Um, And the way it's thought to work, well, there are a number of explanations. Um, I'll start perhaps with the scientific version. So the scientific version is that when you tap on these acupressure points, it calms your nervous system and it it, um, it resets your body's stress response. So when you're in... You know, when you when you think of the classic thing, when you think of a lemon, your mouth starts to water, that kind of thing. So when you think of a traumatic memory, your brain acts as if you're actually in that memory. So when you think of a memory whilst you're tapping, you're telling your body and your brain and your physiology that it's okay we're safe it's okay and you you um deactivate that um traumatic feeling you still have the memory but you don't feel so badly about it that's basically how it works um another scientific explanation is that um they've done you know there's i've always forget what they're called but they have a a sort of a um a sensor that they put around your head and it measures your brain waves Sure. so, yep, seen those. so they've done um experiments with Um, Well, not even experiments, Um, you can do it any time, you know, if you get these sensors and have somebody um, doing EFT tapping, um, both the client and the practitioner go into a delta brainwave state. So the delta brainwaves are the ones that are active when you're in deep sleep or hypnosis or um, psychic channeling, any of these altered states of consciousness or deep meditation. And the beta brainwaves, which are the ones that we use when we're thinking about problems in daily life, they completely disappear or well, not completely disappear, but they're not active at all, compared with the Delta brainwave. So that's another way that that, um, it can be proven to work is that you're accessing different part of your brain or a different way of thinking. And so you get insights um, that you perhaps wouldn't in your waking life normally. It's like when, um, you know, when you go to sleep thinking about something and then in the morning when you wake up, you suddenly know the answer,
0: Mm. like that. Okay. Um,
1: but I always I do want to mention, too, that um, I think it's interesting, the science, but also there's the energetic aspect, which for me is really interesting because we are using the traditional Chinese medicine meridians and acupressure points. So I think it's important to, to remember that. And from the energetic point of view, what we're doing is when we're tapping on these points, we are moving the stagnant energy. So in traditional Chinese medicine, the energy flowing through your meridians, the lines of energy in your body, It can either be um, too much or not enough or stuck. So when we tap on all the points, we're getting all, there are are points on all of the major meridians that we're tapping and we're just moving energy. So when the energy is flowing, it promotes balance and health in your body
0: and your mind. And when it's stuck, if there's some kind of problem. You've described it so succinctly, and I'm even more curious now than I was beforehand. Can, so you've described the sort of on an energetic level what the acupressure, what the tapping does, but on a physiological, on the scientific level, yeah. Um, what does the what does the the, the tapping actually do? Um, so,
1: the, first of all, the acupressure points; um, these have been measured. I think there was a study in Harvard Medical School, and it was studying acupuncture, but it's the same points used. So these points on your skin, they actually have a different electrical conductivity than the surrounding skin. So they are actually a thing, um, physically a thing that can be measured and found and and mapped on your body. Um, And they believe that it works. Um, Again, I'm I'm not a scientist, but I am quite interested in this. So I may get the details a bit wrong here, but um, basically how it works is that they believe that the the connective tissue or fascia um, is, uh, corresponds to the meridian system. So let me get this right. So when you're stimulating one of these acupoints by, for example, tapping, um, the, the fascia, it, it sends a signal to your brain so instantly because it's, um, it's through conductivity, not, not neurons. So normally if you're touching a point, your, your brain has to send it through cells and neurons and synapses firing and it gets up to your brain through the neurological system. But um, when you are communicating through the fascia, through the connective tissue, it goes instantly with, with electrical conductivity. And so, I mean, they, they haven't done, a, um, there haven't been conclusive experiments done into the how. There have been more research studies done into the that it works proving that it works for this and that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is just, um, this is a theory which seems plausible, which some people have
0: have put forward to explain that. Can you tell me about some of the practical examples of ways in which it has worked? And what sort of success rate do you find that you have with, with clients? Yeah. Um, so, well, it depends on what the issue is. For some things,
1: um, some things that it has been proven to work for, and that I personally have worked with, that tend to work quite uh, quickly, and um, um, what's the word? It's clear that they've worked mm. is with phobias. So I think the reason it works well with phobias is that a phobia often has one specific beginning point, um, or or perhaps a couple over the couple. Over sort a
0: traumatic event. Yes.
1: Yes. yes. Um, and so. Once you find those traumatic events, um, it's quite simple to release it and to balance your your brain's reaction to it. Whereas with something like depression, that's going to be different for each person, and it's going to be much more complex. There may be a lot of different factors involved. There may be um, biochemistry. There may be genetic factors. Um, There are different kinds of depression and different things going on in somebody's life that make them feel depressed. Um, And another person might have nothing going on in their life, but they just feel awful um and so for something complex like depression it 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 might take a long time it might take very painstaking work session after session and after some years you might see you might see
0: real progress you still take on on clients who had sort of depression for example or anxiety or something that's more layered and as you say different elements to it
1: yes definitely those are the most Mm. interesting cases for me
0: (laughs) sure um
1: and the most rewarding the most rewarding Mm. Um, but things like uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, it works really well for, again, because often, there, well, usually there's one specific trauma or um, a childhood pattern of similar traumas that happened, um, and, and those, those do tend to work
0: a bit faster say because you can isolate the events yeah, uh, yeah you originally. can isolate the events yeah mm, yeah interesting and can you do this i mean you, you might have struggled through covid is it something you have to be with the client in order to do it or can you show them how to tap and, and walk, talk and walk them through it
1: well even before covid i was working only online it works really oh, wow. well Wow. yeah i work on zoom and um so the i teach the person how to tap and then i'm sitting there looking at them and i'm tapping along with them on the points so it's, it works really well. Yeah, it works exactly the same in person or, or not in person.
0: I've discovered probably over the last 10 years that I'm claustrophobic and I don't know why, but I always think mm-hmm. I quite like this idea that it could, it could go back to one specific solitary event earlier in my mm-hmm. life, which I um, have sort of brushed over, but which actually exists somewhere in my murky past mm-hmm. and I need to, to unlock it. So EFT sounds like a perfect um solution or therapy for that.
1: I would say so, yeah, I would say so. Certainly worth investigating. If you can't remember the event um that's yeah it could still work
0: okay brilliant so it's so it's a really gratifying pursuit for you and something a a way in which you're helping lots of people I assume
1: yeah yeah I find it really rewarding I really love it um I love to see the person's face at the end of the session you know they it's just it's almost like a facelift
0: Um, how, I mean, are there there occasions where literally you can see somebody the relief in someone's face within the space of 10, 20, 30 seconds, just from doing a tiny bit of tapping or is it something which lasts? It takes the the process a little bit longer than that.
1: There's definitely a calming effect. Um, from only, uh, yeah, from five minutes, you can, you can,
0: you can experience
1: yourself a calming effect. Um, yeah, it depends really what the person's come for. I mean. Usually by the time someone decides to pay for sessions, they've reached a bit of a crisis point in their life. Sure. Um, So they can come feeling, you know, pretty bad. Um, I I hope that they will leave the first session (laughs) feeling much better. Um, uh, I would be confident to say that they do leave the session feeling better. The thing with EFT is that it's not like, um, well, some therapies where you have to talk a lot about your problems Um, can can leave you feeling a bit drained Uh, but the nice thing about EFT is because you're balancing your body and your brain and your energy system at the same time it doesn't leave you feeling drained well if it's a skilled practitioner anyway Um, and you don't have to um, you don't have to go in and talk about all your horrible things at the beginning you can tiptoe around it and balance it little by little and layer by layer so it's quite gentle and people do generally leave the session. I think I would be confident to say always leave my sessions feeling really good.
0: Wow. That's awesome. And you know, you are a genuine healer. You're, you're somebody that I would just love to meet at a festival or something. You could literally go, you work with your hands, you have this trade and you can go and calm people down relieve the stress and the tension of people from being close to them. I find that amazing. Well, that's, that's really nice of you to say. So I'm, um,
1: i i prefer to to take a a humbler a humbler perspective myself and say that i'm more like a guide dog helping the person because um
0: a shaman i
1: mean yeah Mm, oh now you're talking (laughs) (laughs) i mean yes yes there's an element of being a healer in that i love to do it and i feel i feel um you know i feel the healing energy and i feel i feel the help coming through me to the person, but I don't. I don't want to say that I fix that person. I heal that person because those people did it themselves. They actually did it themselves. If they weren't willing to do the work and to and to look at it, then nothing would happen.
0: Yeah. So absolutely. I prefer
1: to say that I, you know, I go along with the person and help them and ask questions and suggest this and suggest that and lead them um, along towards where they want to go.
0: You need to go into it with an open mind if you need if you're going to get something out of it, right? Oh yeah. If you go in with all your barriers up and tense and unable to, to to buy into it, then you're not really going to get much out of it.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're coming just because just because your wife told you to, this, it's not going to get very far. Um, but uh, but if you're coming, I mean, even if somebody's quite sceptical about it, it can still work if they're if they're willing to give it a go. Um, to be honest, most people can feel the calming effects within minutes. They can feel that it's doing something. So. After that, they they tend to be open if 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 they were at all open to start with, they tend to be open to
0: seeing what happens. Would you describe yourself as a spiritual person? Yeah. Um, you mentioned astrology earlier. Now, mm-hmm. probably a, a good dozen guests have mentioned astrology to me during interviews and I never followed up by asking any questions. <laughs> well, firstly, because I literally know next to nothing about astrology. Secondly, you know, when you don't know anything about a subject, you just you tend to gravitate towards the stereotypes and the stereotypes sort of sometimes they, they, they can give astrology a bad rep. I know it's a huge question I'm going to ask you, but and it's maybe not something you're into so much anymore, but can you explain to me the tenets, the main tenets of astrology and why it has so much power for so many people?
1: Yeah, I love to talk about it. The only reason I don't do it anymore is because I became obsessive with it, so I decided to leave Really? It.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay, so, so I'm so pleased I cracked this one open then. Yeah, Tell me, please. Okay,
1: so... Um, Enlighten. So, um, in astrology, you have... Uh, you have the sun and the moon and the planets, which um, are thought to affect life on earth. So, I mean, we can see that with the moon, right? It affects the gravitational pull, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm. And magnetic forces and all that. So each, if you think of each, each of the planets, I'm calling the sun and the moon also as planets in astrology. Um, So each of the planets has a different quality, which affects us in a different way. So um, if you're, if you're reading the, you know, in a magazine and it says oh Libra is this whatever well that's not going to be accurate because it doesn't take into account the time and place of your birth so uh, when you're looking at a person's birth chart and you have the a lot of people don't know the time of their birth but it's better if they know the time and the place of their birth as well as the date um, and these days it's easy to feed it into a computer but Back in the old days, I was doing all these calculations by hand, looking up the, the, the charts of, of which planets were where, when, and calculating everything. So when you when you plotted the person's birth chart, you then um, you get like a picture. And the more you do it, the more you can look at that picture and sort of see what, what kind of characteristics the person has and where they might be lacking something. Um, and uh, in Western astrology now, it's not so much... I mean, people do do predictive, but it's not so much predictive. It's more of a psychological thing. So, for example, in in um, in my birth chart, I've got more of the fire element um, and less of the earth element. So that tells me that um, I need to bring in more earthy activities into my life, um, maybe make sure that I'm more grounded and not not so much um. Uh, not so much starting things and not finishing. I need to I need to make sure I follow
0: things through and do practical things. Um, and it's um, but so you, it can really inform your life on a daily and practical basis then you think? Well, yes, um, so that that's the basic birth chart um, and that's all
1: well and good. I'm, I mean I still find that interesting and I still sort of follow the new moon and the full moon, but um, it was getting to the point where I there's a thing called transits. So when you plot your birth chart, um, you can then follow like all of the planets every day (laughs) and compare that with your own birth chart. And it it was just becoming a bit too much. And and I took a step back and and I, for me now, I think that little is more. So it's like, it's as if you were gonna do tarot and do it every day, like three times a day, asking it all these questions, you're gonna get in a muddle. Whereas if you just ask it once a month, you'll get a really clear answer for what you need to do or, um, you know, guidance for your, your question. So I think, I think astrology is a bit like that. I mean, yes, have your birth chart reading and find out, you know, what astrology says about your character and, and your strengths and weaknesses and
0: challenges. But I think, um,
1: I think it's easy to get bogged down in all those details and uh, it wasn't helpful for me.
0: Interesting. But you still sort of, would you say you still subscribe to the the, the main tenets of it? Oh, yeah. In general, well, you do believe in it. Yeah, Interesting. yeah. Interesting. I mean, take the example of the full moon. So the full moon
1: is when the moon is opposite the sun, right? Because that's that's mm-hmm. when the sun is fully reflecting on the moon. So that means if you're born under a full moon, it means that you've got the moon pulling on one side and the sun on the other. Mm. So you can imagine that that's quite different from if it's a new moon when the moon and the sun are pulling together
0: right and it's the same with all of them so why is it why does it make a difference when you're born is it like does your is it like a snapshot for your body the moment that you're born why would it because we're all experiencing the moon and the sun in different places all the time it's constantly moving so surely if there's gravitational pull from all of the planets we're all getting that gravitational pull but from those different positions is Why it, would it make a difference when you're born? Why would that inform? I I think that's a really a good
1: that's a really good way to put it that it's a snapshot because um if you think about it when you're born that's the moment when
0: you're separate from your mother for the first time you're mm-hmm, a separate right. um entity um, uh-huh. yeah so and you it, always remember that you you some unconsciously maybe you always remember that 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 feeling of the first time you're away from from, from outside of your mother
1: yes it's it's like a kind of imprint isn't it the first imprint right mm.
0: Mm. very interesting you're a fascinating person what do you think happens when we die well i don't think we can know that really um <laughs> we can't it's pure speculation it's
1: pure speculation i believe i believe that uh i mean it's just it comes down to belief doesn't it um of course I believe absolutely that, i believe that our spirit is separate from our body so you know the body is dead and something continues um I don't know what happens. I'm quite excited actually to find
0: out what happens. Uh, that's great. Yeah. I think that we have, I think that a lot of people have an unhealthy um, uh, relationship with death because it's something that one of the few things that we all share, you know, we, we just talked about all being born. Mm. We all die. Yeah. Yet we dread it, don't we? And, and so many people dread it, even though they're really suffering in their life on earth. You know? Well, they're this not is it. Yeah.
1: It. Yeah. I mean, I d- I'm not looking forward to the actual process of dying. It's probably going to be painful in some way or another, but, um, it's kind of fun to fun to yeah it's going to be really fun to find out what happens um and you know i quite like reading those books where where people who supposedly can channel stuff from beings for want of a better word and you know and and uh, some people think that we have these you know in the spirit world we have these life plans and we decide with other other spirit beings that we're going to make this life and learn this and blah 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 it's, it would be kind of interesting to find out if that's true or
0: not yeah absolutely um I, it's really interesting because the way that you described it it's almost identical to the way I've largely described it in my life that I believe that the body and the spirit are separate and there's something it, it, as you say impossible to know how or what but it's something some knowledge I, I also like love the idea these days of the oneness you know sort of universal consciousness and I and I yeah. feel that maybe that maybe that my spirit will just go into that huge melting pot of of one yes. yes when i die i've wanted that
1: too because um you know you don't know do you whether your spirit actually has any personality at all or whether it's just stuff like spirit stuff that goes back like a drop in the ocean and just comes you know will i actually be aware that i'm separate or will i just be the one spirit
0: Interesting. yeah totally there's a one of the more common names surnames in Portugal is boa morte which means good death. Mm. And and I think that a lot of us dread the idea of dying whereas really we should just be focused on having a good death a, a short and painless death rather than suffering for years and years because it's all it's coming to us all. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just a question of how. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I can understand the comfort that comes to some people from being religious and having that faith. Because, you know, like people, devout Christians, for example, they truly believe that their their place in heaven is guaranteed as long as they behave well on earth. And, you know, to have that sort of certainty must be quite comforting, I guess.
1: Yes, yes. And I hope that I hope that really happens for them as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what's the strangest thing you've ever seen? The strangest thing I've ever seen well, the first thing that sprung to mind—you may have seen it yourself in Indonesia—was I don't know why that why this sprung to mind. I'm sorry to uh, to bring this up, but there there Please was apologize. a there was a <laughs> market in the in the town I was living in Solo where they used to um, they used to serve live snakes.
0: Oh no! no have you seen it? It's, it's...
1: It's disgusting. A, and they... This is
0: the second. This is the second interview where I've discussed how no to way. discuss eating snakes. <laughs> at the top of the day. And yeah, I, you know, I'm a. I have a plant-based diet, <laughs> so I've, I consider myself to be an animist. So, like, I feel like humans and animals are on the same level. We're no. We're no high. We're not at the top of the food chain. We're all on the same level. So, I'm a huge animal lover, and everybody keeps coming on this, in, this uh, pod telling me about eating snakes. Strange. <laughs> Why anyone would think to do that or go through with it. um who inspires you and why
1: yes well um you know what's that what's the name of that New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda isn't it Jacinda
0: yes I don't know how uh, to say it
1: because I don't watch the news I only read it it's Jacinda Adern or Adern anyway
0: um you're doing a better job than I would
1: yeah uh, apologies Jacinda if I've said your
0: name horribly wrong (laughs) but
1: yeah so she inspires me because um I think she's probably the only politician that I ever read about in the news that doesn't fill me with disgust because it just gives me hope that some people at least at least one person has gone into the profession wanting to help people and do the right thing instead of to line their pockets and get power Um, so I find that really inspiring that there are actually good people (laughs) who get into power
0: (laughs) you know i also think that power itself and po- politics is so corrupting because i do think there are a lot of people that go in with the right intentions but they become corrupted by it rather than going in as bad people but i was talking to my wife the other day about like how many politicians actually are more more popular at the end of their their tenure than they are at the start and it's you can count them on one hand yeah. basically can't you yeah that's um, it. she's what she's one she doesn't seem to have had to compromise too badly uh, in, and and she's more popular than ever. I think, Um, I mean, Barack Obama, he was pretty popular when he finished and he's still seen as quite an inspiring dude. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really think uh, Angela Merkel has done a good job in Germany. Now, of course, like yes. Germany itself is a behemoth of a, company, of a country. But she, I think... I genuinely believe that we need to put women in more positions of power because I think the, the world at this point in time is absolutely crying out for the female touch. Uh, and, and Angela Merkel, I think, is another great example of somebody who has, you know, I think, I think when she leaves her position, uh, Germany will be in a far better position, not only economically, but also socially, you know, conscientiously. She's done some amazing stuff. And I think Germany is a, 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 pretty, a pretty cool country.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because quite a lot of female politicians end up, um, I don't want to say end up having to be like the men, because not all men are horrible, but you know, mm, no. there's that kind of cutthroat, um, over-masculine, over-macho atmosphere, isn't there? And some of the women have to be, end up being so hard and so tough in order to compete and get to the top that they end
0: up being not very nice either. So yes,
1: it's it's inspiring when some of them manage
0: so true but you know this this uh the status quo that we're in now with the with the planet with the pandemic is this is a these are man-made issues men have fucked it up men have had their chance and they've fucked it up we need to give women the reins that's i'm i believe that so strongly i couldn't agree more yeah i I'd, I'd, i
1: wouldn't say men though i'd say the patriarchy because you know, right. some, some men are nice, aren't they?
0: Of course. <laughs> of course. Absolutely. We just need to be we need the female touch to guide us right now. Um, what about what about books? What books have resonated with you that you'd like to tell me about? So I was reading. Mm, yeah, I was reading a book. Well, it's funny because we were just talking about walking in, in England,
1: weren't we? I read this book by Jake Tyler, who walked all the way around the perimeter of, of England and Scotland and Wales. It's called A Walk on the Wild Edge or something like that and yeah he he started it because he had it was interesting for me because about working with in mental health um he had depression and he was suicidal and he he just one day decided to start doing it and he walked all the way he started in brighton in the south coast and he walked all the way around cornwall and through wales and he had some breaks on the way to run a marathon mm. as you do <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it, it was yeah it was really interesting um and and he was really honest and 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 um really honest about all all the things that he felt and did along the way and and the mistakes that he made as well as the things that he learned and and that went well for him so yeah i'd really recommend it
0: maybe he'd come on your podcast it'll be interesting oh <laughs> fantastic yeah what's his name jake tyler um t-y-l-e-r i love content which where the the subject is able to be vulnerable i think it shows Mm. real courage to be really vulnerable
1: yes that's it and and it it helped his cause more as well because he was trying to you know raise awareness about depression and mental health and um and he was so honest about how he started off feeling this that and the other and it was going really well and then he had this dip and he had several dips where he went he felt going back into the, the depressive state um and it was it was really helpful to read that because of course it is like that isn't it you don't suddenly fix everything by walking around
0: britain was he always a walker or did he, was he not doing any exercise before during the depression and before he started this this walk around the country do you know he, he wasn't doing any exercise and and there's <laughs> there's such a correlation isn't there yeah
1: yeah Physi- physical
0: health and mental health
1: yes i think so and he'd lost the thing that he said too was that he'd lost that connection with nature um, mm. You know, he was he was a manager of a pub or something, and he just got into this cycle of drinking too much and too regularly and taking drugs and um, and just um, he he wasn't connecting with nature in the way that he had when he was growing up. And so it was the combination of the exercise and the nature um, and also some some of the things that he mentioned were, um, you know, that that feeling of being on your own, but in a good way um, rather than and he felt that he felt in a way less isolated walking around on his own and meeting people and really connecting with the people that he encountered than when he was working in the pub and he didn't
0: feel like he had any friends so it was interesting yeah and what a stunning walk to do as well! Mm. Can you imagine the beautiful yeah. countryside and coastal stuff that you'd see on your way around Britain, which yeah. is a beautiful country. Yeah. Having a dog helped me rediscover nature. I was another; it was another of my phobias until I got one. Yep. Yeah, uh, my wife was insistent on getting a dog, so we got a Yorkshire Terrier. He's now my very best friend in the world, and uh, he we yeah. I've rediscovered nature. I have to go and walk him, come rain or shine. And it just makes me commune with nature on a daily basis again. And it's the most incredible discovery. I feel healthier than ever of mind and of body.
1: Yeah, I think there's a, a huge power, isn't there, in in just remembering that we're just part of a planet instead of stuck
0: in our little boxes that we go out of and get in another box to go somewhere. And... Couldn't agree more. Dogs, so dogs make me happy. What makes you happy?
1: Oh, well, I, I was just going to say nature makes me happy. Um, yeah that that is the thing that makes me happiest there's a um i don't know if you've been to wimbledon common but there are some really quite old trees of wimbledon common Mm. and there's this particular one i've no idea how old it is but it's really big it's an oak tree um and it's got a really wide trunk and uh, but it's got low branches so it's a really good climbing tree and you can just go up in there and sit in that tree and it's just the most amazing feeling Um, it's happy but it's not it's not hypo it's just really calm and peaceful and it's a really lovely place and that's the kind of thing that makes me happy
0: Totally. I was interviewing a lady called Monica Canducci recently, and we were talking about the power of nature, and she made this wonderful reference. She basically said the reason why trees grow so tall is because they're so deeply rooted in the ground. So she believes that the more grounded she becomes, the more she can grow.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. It's a beautiful idea, isn't it? uh, the, I haven't read these books, but I've I've heard about them. I haven't read anything for the past five years because I've got a four-year-old. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these,
0: I can empathise definitely. These,
1: yeah, um, you you hear about the, the the network that they have under the soil, don't you? With communication right. with each other. That's right. Yeah, you know that they have some kind of fungal communication system with with the other trees in the forest, and and they have a, a mother and and I don't know children and all this kind of arrangement
0: under the soil. <laughs> it's amazing. amazing, isn't it? I was actually watching a nature documentary just last week and it had Keanu Reeves doing the doing the um, narration and he was trying to sound really really I mean everybody loves Keanu, but he was trying to sound really, you know, really really deep so like his voice was like really really low and he was talking about the, the forest and basically them talking to each other and they so basically they they work as a group and they send extra nutrients to the trees that are that are ill in the in the forest so they're actually sending medicine as it were to help the the more vulnerable trees because of the, the idea of strength in numbers you know they all stay together and it's just it's such a beautiful idea that's amazing isn't it yeah they are so and there was something about how they are like to the power of 10 more genetically complex than human beings oh wow like way, way more genetically complex than humans. It's so
1: interesting when when the science comes out because that's what you feel, isn't it? In the in the forest, mm. you feel that. If you Absolutely. if you if you actually sit, or you know, instead of just walking through, if you actually sit there and feel the trees, it's um there's such a power there. And um, I always think too of the the cycle of of, of breathing because you can almost feel it when you're breathing out. The tree is breathing that in. And then they're breathing out the oxygen for you to breathe in. And there's this whole kind of cycle um, and knowing that they're all connecting underneath underneath the soil like that.
0: And who knows, maybe up in the air as well. It's just so interesting. I try to be when I go into nature because I, I realise how crazy and frantic and frenetic my life, particularly in parenthood, like you just never stop. So when you get 10 minutes to go and sit in the forest and just be, it can feel like a a beautiful eternity and, and you can really feel those ebbs and flows of nature in the trees. Yeah,
1: yeah, lovely.
0: Just 10 minutes can be absolutely so rejuvenating. Yes, yes, exactly. It's Interesting that we're talking about nature because obviously, you know, at the start of the pandemic, there was all this talk of how, you know, the planet was healing itself, you know, mm. um, the waters were getting cleaner mm-hmm. and nature was entering the cities again. Mm-hmm. Do you think that for me, it's it's plainly obvious that the the pandemic came about because of our bad, our unhealthy relationship with animals. And but do you think that we will change systematically, with, you know, in the light of what's happened with COVID, or do you think we'll just go back to business as usual? Well,
1: quite honestly, I think we've already gone back to business as usual. Um, I think I think some of us have taken stock. Um, I was reading, I think it was today, that that for, uh, I think it was two-fifths of people will never go back to the office. That's what they're saying now. Mm. They'll stay working from home. So, I mean, mm. some people, I think some individuals have, have made some different choices or realised things. But, um, I mean, things like the pollution, which which cleared up so much in London during the lockdowns, is it quickly went back to normal. Um, mm. And I don't, I'm, I always think too, I mean, if you remember before the pandemic started, the the big story was the climate change and Greta Thunberg and all these you know everyone was really anxious about reducing plastic use and stuff and that all went out the window you know everyone now is just chucking away their their face masks and all this all over the street
0: yeah um, it literally went out the window yeah.
1: so um i don't think i mean realistically i don't think it's i don't think it's changed much although some people have maybe yeah
0: it's almost like we're sort of industries happening even more quickly than ever in order to try and make up for lost time. Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. We, we seem to have less of a symbiotic relationship with the planet than ever before. We're supposed to be, you know, these highly sophisticated individuals. We've never had such great technology in the world, you know, we've never been so sophisticated, yet we're destroying the planet worse than we've ever done before. You...
1: No, I think that's true. And I think,
0: I mean, part of it obviously is the huge
1: population growth. But also, Absolutely, But also, I think it's, um, there's just so much to do now. And so, you know, so much information and in the past, I think it was easier because there was less to do. And you would sit around and look at nature in the summer, for example. Um, I mean, not, not to denigrate the people that had to work all day in the fields and stuff. I mean, that's not sitting around. But um, at the end of the day, you know, people now everybody's on their phones I mean myself included um, that you can't ever hope to read everything that that you might be interested in <laughs> there's so much information so many books so much online um, and I think that kind of information indigestion really starts to affect people um, and it, I think that affects our ability to connect with each other as human beings as well as with nature
0: I have to have active practices in order to step away from technology, like at the weekends, by and large, and out, I won't use my phone. I'll just step away. I'll let it die, whatever. And, um, you know, people at the end of the weekend, you know, family members and stuff, like, well, are you all right? What's going on? Where are you? <laughs> but it's just, you've got to explain to them. I just want to step away from technology for a while. Yeah,
1: that's it. That's it. Um, you, you've got to have limits. And well, you're probably feeling this, the same with, it, with a new baby. It, it's kind of frightening because how do we do that for our children? How do we help them to learn the, the the health, healthy and safe limits? um Because it wasn't like that when I was growing up.
0: <laughs> You've talked about Greta there, and there are so many young people who seem more conscientious and really urgently trying to do something and, and keep the you know uh, environmental problems front and center. I'm hope I don't want to leave a huge mess for my daughter and for you know an awful legacy for the next generation which we are doing by and large but um it does feel to me there's hope in in youth
1: yes i think so i think so um it's um it's interesting isn't it that 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 she was i think she's 18 now isn't she but she was 15 when when all that started Mm. um and i think people felt unable to I know people were mean to her, but but most by and large, people people felt unable to sort of contradict her or um be as be as forthright as they would have with, a, with an adult, I think, which was interesting. Um, the way that that she was given a platform and um heard and given publicity and lots of interviews and all this kind of stuff. I think people really empathized with with this girl just trying to do something and feeling that it was more important than her schoolwork. Um in, in the great scheme of things
0: yeah another amazing female role model
1: yeah absolutely
0: um okay oh, we've we've had we've been talking about quite depressing things I suppose <laughs> for the last 10-15 minutes so, so I'm going to try and round it up with something another inspiring thing to ask you about a film or documentary which you've absolutely loved in your life which maybe I can take away and watch at the weekend
1: yeah um well I've I've just the thing that sprung to mind with that one was um so I'm I'm doing a teacher training to to be a qigong teacher and as part of that obviously there's an anatomy module and they've they gave gave us this video to watch and it's this fellow called dr ingber it's ingber and it's on youtube you can you can find it i'm afraid i don't know what the name is but i could find it for you Um, and it was so interesting because he was a i suppose he he looks about 65 or 70 in that video i don't know how old he is now and he was a biologist but he also, um, he studied um, an art module at university in the States. And he put two and two together and he came up with this whole sort of theory. So to put it more, more um, I'm trying to summarize the whole hour video in this five minutes here. <laughs> So the, the concept that, that we're talking about here is tensegrity. So, you imagine yeah if you imagine um the way that buildings most traditional buildings are built like um brick on brick on brick um and um you know if you take out the bottom brick it will all fall down kind of thing um so the human body isn't built like that um and the the tensegrity model it's really hard to explain without visuals but um (laughs) there are basically sticks in the it's actually a physical little model that you can hold in your hands and and they show it on the video and there are sticks held together with rubber bands um such that it holds together in a shape so it could be a a, you know an isohedron a a 20-sided shape or something like that um and but it's got amazing strength yeah it's got strength but also you could squash it flat and it pops back to the, wow um you know and and you 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 distort one area and the whole of it moves but it still holds together it's got stability with um with flexibility and so the idea, the idea is that the human body is like this that that the bones obviously in the spine are not stacked one on top of each other um, because it it, it it just doesn't work like that it doesn't stand up like that that the bones are actually floating in this sort of matrix of connective tissue and stuff um, which holds it together with forces of tension rather than compression, um, and it even goes down to a cellular level. This guy was so fascinating that he worked mainly in um, cellular biology, and even within a cell, the um, the stick elements from the model are stuff in the cell um, uh, which which are in a matrix. So right. when you when you stretch when you stretch a cell, all of it stretches, and and it was just it was just fascinating. And, and the best thing about this documentary was that it was aimed at secondary school students, so I could understand it. <laughs> it you know, it didn't require it didn't require any special knowledge. It was really well explained. And
0: uh, Interesting. Yeah. It's such a great reference because it's a really unusual off the um, you know left field uh, reference that. So it's certainly one that I have never heard of before and, and one that I'm sure I'd be fascinated by. Yeah, it was really interesting i'm obviously going to put all the links to your work in the show notes so how can people reach out to you and maybe do a consultation maybe do some work with you thank you yeah well it's really easy my website is tapwithalice.com yeah um, brilliant website i'm also there on tapwithalice.com yeah, also
1: on facebook tapwithalice i have a facebook group where i run free group tapping sessions twice a month so if you'd like to try it out then it's there um, I've got YouTube channel too. I think that's Tap with Alice. Everywhere's Tap with Alice.
0: So these group sessions—they're they're live on Facebook twice a month, are they?
1: They're live. Yeah, I actually do it on Zoom because it's a bit more. Um, yeah, but because some some of the people that want to come are not on Facebook. But it's basically the point of the Facebook group is to tell people about these group sessions. So yeah, it's twice a month. I vary the time to catch the Americans and the Australians. The next one's at <laughs> 5:30 UK. What date? Tuesday the first. Yeah
0: tuesday the first you'll,
1: you'll appreciate starts. this okay. having talked about astrology i do it on the new moon and the full moon ah you know, to harness the energies so it's a good it's a good thing to do because you know on the new moon we we harness the energies of, of new beginnings and resetting and then at the full moon we're we're sort of um embedding uh what we've achieved so far that month i mean i, I don't put it like that but but that is really the thought behind it anyway
0: you are such an interesting person Thank you. (laughs) It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and um, I hope you have an amazing weekend. Thank you so much for educating me. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Oliver. It was really nice to meet you. (sighs) The Natural High Follow us on Twitter at Natural High Club or go straight to the website, thenaturalhighclub.com. And remember to subscribe to the Natural High Podcast through whichever platform you're listening to get every new pod straight to your phone.